Hey, well, I'm so excited you're I'm so excited you're here. Hey, if you're a guest with us, thanks for being here. Uh, my name's Matt Darby. I get to be our campus pastor here uh, on our Gilmer campus. And this is a little bit of a different day. Uh, normally, we kind of operate in sermon series where we're working through something, you know, for four, five, or six weeks. And we're not in a series this week or, or next, but there has certainly seemed to be a theme to the day, this idea of being dedicated to the Lord. And, and as I've thought about family dedication and and, and what that means, I couldn't help but ask the question, what does it mean for us to be dedicated to the Lord? And when I ask that question, um, I, I, I want you to sit with this. What does it mean for me to be dedicated to Jesus? What does it mean for me to be dedicated to Jesus? I want to sit with that for a moment. I want to sit with that. Because on the surface, that is a very simplistic question, and, and in a way it is, but hear me, how you answer that question is incredibly important, incredibly important. And so when I talk about what does it mean for you to be dedicated to Jesus, I'm not talking about a, a ceremonial moment that you may have had when you were a child. I mean, what does dedication, what does devotion to Jesus look like in your life? That's what I mean. Maybe more important than that, what should it look like? What should dedication and devotion to Jesus look like? How does God define dedication? What is the standard that he has given for us? So there's a, the, the definition of dedication is, is pretty predictable. What does it mean to be dedicated? It means this, to be devoted to a purpose with a single-minded loyalty. To be devoted to a purpose with a single minded loyalty. Think of when you got married, husbands and wives, when you got married, you stood before a pastor or someone and you exchanged vows and you gave this oath that you were going to be devoted to this person with a single-minded loyalty, right? You kind of made that commitment. And if you don't remember, um, I, I just want to tell you, you said some words. Yeah, I promise you, you said them. You made the commitment. And if you ever stray from the single-minded loyalty, going to be a problem, all right? So you're going to have a single-minded uh, loyalty and devotion to this. And, and this picture of being devoted to a purpose with a single-minded loyalty, it really lines up with the standard of dedication that we see in God's Word. Which it, it, I want you to just hear some, even as I keep that definition on the screen, I want you to hear some of the verses that, that set this as important in the life of a believer. Single-minded loyalty. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Seek first the kingdom of God. Set it as first in his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, right? Set this first. In Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, no matter what it is, word, deed, do it all to the glory of God. Have a single-minded 
loyalty to God. In Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. That doesn't mean give, acknowledge doesn't mean give a head nod to God, right? Like you just crossed home plate and you're doing one. That's not what he's talking about. He means acknowledge a full devotion. Acknowledge a complete surrender, right? Have a single-minded loyalty. Peter said in 1 Peter that we are to set apart in our hearts Christ as Lord, right? Single-minded devotion. And, 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 and what did uh, Jesus say? Uh, when, it, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? You love the Lord with all your heart. We just read it from Deuteronomy. All your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Think about the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. It's impossible. It is impossible to miss the first position, right? That single-minded focus devotion, dedication, loyalty that God calls us to give him. And here's what I think is probably true. No professing Christian would ever say, God's not first in my life, right? Most professing Christians are going to say, yes, God is first in my life, but the question is not, can we say that? The question is, does my life display that? Does my life display that God is first? And as I've tried to answer this question, and, and, and prayed about today and what it means for us to be devoted to the Lord. Two words just kept psyched. God took my heart straight to a, a specific passage of Scripture. It's one we've talked about before, but two words kept ringing in my heart. What does it mean for us to be dedicated and devoted to Jesus? And the two words are this, living sacrifice. Living So Anybody know where we see that in Scripture? If you know it, you can yell it out. It's okay. Romans, anybody know the chapter? Romans chapter 12, that's right, that's where we find it. Grab your Bible, head, that right, head there right now. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be in verse 1 and 2. I will tell you that phrase, living sacrifice, it only shows up one time in the entire Bible, and it's here in Romans chapter 12. I think it's one of the most unique phrases in all of Scripture. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, these are, these are some of the most transformational faith-building verses that we have in the Bible. I'm not sure there are any verses that more clearly express for us what it means to be dedicated, to be devoted, to be all in with Jesus. What does it mean to belong to him, to be a citizen of his kingdom? We see it here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's read together. If you're there, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. Amen. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now before we get into the deep end of the pool with this today, there's a little groundwork we need to do. It's an important word right there in verse 1. I point it, I, I never, if there's a verse that has this word, I always stop and point at this word because it's incredibly important. It's in verse 1, and it is the word therefore. It matters, right? And if you see that word, you should ask yourself a question. Who knows what the question is? You, I'm so proud of you guys. I'm so proud. Ah, oh, it's sticking. We did it. Yes. 
If you haven't heard that before, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you ask yourself the question, what is it there for? Why is it there? Because the word has purpose. That's a word that begins to switch from the, the, the why we should do what we're about to be commanded to do to the what he wants us to do. So Paul's about to transition and begin to tell us how we should live this life. And the why for why we should live that way comes before. And so whenever you see that word, it should draw your eyes backward in Scripture. It should, it should draw you to look backward. And so Paul is about to tell us what to do, but it, that therefore tells us he built the case for it leading up to that moment. And he says, I appeal to you on the basis of what I've said in the first 11 chapters of this letter. I'm, I'm appealing to you now because Paul is about to call us to a kind of living in Romans 12 through 16, a kind of life, hear me, that's built on something. He's about to call us to a standard of living that doesn't just come out of, of nowhere. It has its roots in something. It has a foundation built on something. And it's built on the realities of God that, that we've discovered in the first 11 chapters. These two verses are transitional. The entire letter of Romans swings in a different direction right here. It, it, it changes directions. and In Romans 1 through 11... Paul builds the framework for essentially everything that we understand about the gospel. That's what you have in the first 11 verses, or chapters, excuse me, of Romans. We discover what, it, what sin is, right? That all of us have sinned. Romans 3, 23, we get, a, 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 he tells us what salvation is, right? Romans 5, 8, God showed his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, right? We, we understand that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ from Romans 8, 1, that we are no longer condemned by that sin, but we've been born again and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we begin to get a very clear picture of life in Christ and the mercy of God. Nine times, nine times in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul refers to the mercy of God. And now we come to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's saying, I'm appealing to you. I'm about to give you a charge. I'm about to press you into a new direction, and I'm making this plea based on the mercy of God. And what's the plea? Look at verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now, at first glance, those two words don't seem to belong together, do they? They seem like a little bit of an oxymoron, right? You ever heard somebody use a word, and when they said it, you went, I don't think that means what you think it means, and you shouldn't say that ever again, right? You just go, these two words, these things don't belong together. I'll tell you who is brilliant. He's a genius. He's a crazy genius at jamming words together and making words as Pastor George Willis here at New Beginnings. Um, he just creates words out of nothing it just, and then uses them like they're normal. And he commits himself to them. He wants them to become a part of the vernacular in the English language. I'll give you two examples. One of them was serviteers. Serviteers, right? Servant volunteers. He just jammed those two words together and made one dumber word, right? Serviteers. And he just uses it, you know? Here's another one that he made up, and he preached it here, and we just wore about, which was surrenderance. 
Surrenderance, the surrendering and obedience. He just jammed them together and made surrenderance and preached the word like it was in the Bible. And I was like, George, you can't make up words. And he'll just look right at you and go, well, words got to come from somewhere. And so you go, all right, I, I guess you're right about that. I guess they do got to come from somewhere. So um, this is kind of how I feel in this moment with Paul. Paul uses this word sacrifice. He says living sacrifice. But when you think of sacrifice, what comes to mind? Death. That's the first thing, right, that comes to mind. And that's exactly what would have come to mind for the people reading this letter. The church in Rome was a combination of converted Jews and converted Gentiles in this metropolis, this large metropolitan city that have come into this body. They've, they, they know the death of Jesus, and every good Jew would have, understand, would have understood the principle of sacrifice, right? Their entire religious system was built on sacrifice, of, of bringing an animal, bringing a, a sheep or a lamb or a dove, or, and, and bringing it to be sacrificed, and the animal would be would be killed and the blood would be put on an altar. And, and for that moment and for a while, it would cover the sin in their life. And so everyone understood the idea of a sacrifice. But here Paul is saying that we are to be a living sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? I think it means that while we are alive in this body, while we are living, we live sacrificed. We live dying to self. We live sacrifice to God, meaning we are alive, but not to ourselves. He would say it a little different, and I think it gives some clarity in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul would say it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. I, it's not even me living anymore. It's Christ living in me. And this life that I now live, I live that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself up for me. Paul is saying that because Christ has died for me, because Christ has redeemed my life, this new life I have, it doesn't belong to me because I didn't give it to me. Living sacrifice means we are alive to God, but crucified to ourselves. And so the question becomes, what does that life look like? Remember, we're under the banner of what does it mean to be dedicated, devoted, single-minded loyalty? What does that life look like? What, is it, what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? And a question the Holy Spirit's been stirring in my heart is, well, how do I break the cycle of living only to myself? How do I do that? How do I have a single-minded loyalty to Jesus? So there's three things I want you to see this morning. If we are going to live fully devoted, all in, living sacrifice, it begins and it's imperative that we see God's mercy. That we see God's mercy. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This life of obedience, this life of surrender, this life of faith, this life of, of single-minded loyalty that we are called to live, listen, it has its roots in something. It has its roots in God's mercy. And Paul is saying we have to sink our roots deep in the mercy of God. 
We have to sink the roots of our life deep in God's mercy. Think about all the things he put into the first half of Romans. Just go back and read Romans 1 through 11. It's staggering. It is a treasure. It is so rich with the gospel and the person of Jesus. And when he came out of that and was going to tell us how to live, he could have picked anything to say this is the foundation. But what he said was the foundation was the mercy of God. The foundation of your life is God's mercy. It's God's mercy that he would be merciful to you. What is, mer what is that? What is God's mercy? The mercy of God is his loving kindness given to us through the withholding of what we deserve. Now, when I say withholding of what you deserve, don't, don't hear me say you deserve something good and he's keeping it from you. Hear me say you deserve death and he withheld it from you. Right? There's a difference in those. A lot of you have done things. You said, man, I should get something good for that, and you didn't get it, and something good was withheld. That's not mercy. Mercy is you deserve death because of your sin. All of us have sinned, fallen short. The wages of sin is death. Mercy is the loving kindness of God expressed toward you in the withholding of what you deserve. Why, why do we have to sink the roots of our life deep into the mercy of God? Because if, if you're living your life and it isn't built on the foundation of God's mercy, you're going to believe the lie that somehow it's built on the foundation of your merit. Are you with me? The life God saved you to live, the life God has designed for you and called you to, has nothing to do with your merit and everything to do with His mercy. And we get that twisted, right? We get that twisted because there's this little part of us that we don't, we don't talk about it, we don't point at it, but it's there, the little part of us that says, I'm a pretty good cat and God should be fired up that I'm on his team. Anybody play in a, on a team of any sort and there was somebody on that team who was pretty sure they were God's gift to that team and we should all just be grateful that we get to bask in the glory of their athletic excellence? Anybody play with that person? Right? If you didn't, you probably were that person. And so, <laughs> right? It takes one to know one. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was that idiot for a while. Uh, then some things came together to ruin my athletic career, like genetics. And uh, gravity didn't help. Right? A deep love for biscuits and gravy wasn't helpful either. The moment we begin to believe that this life that we've been given, the moment we begin to drift away from our roots being deep in the mercy of God and we begin to run our roots deeper into our merit, we're going to believe a lie that says this. If it's based on merit, then the better I do, the more I'm loved. 
That's, what, that's the lie merit will tell you. The devil would love for you to believe this is based on merit because if he can get you to believe somehow this has something to do with you, then he's going to get you to believe the lie that the better you perform, the more God loves you and receives you. You can't be good enough. You can't, be, you can't obey enough. You can't surrender enough. You can't give enough. You can't dedicate enough. You can't do that stuff. Why? It's not my merit. It has nothing to do with my performance. It is nothing more than an act of mercy given to me by God, expressed through Christ Jesus, who took my death. It's, it's mercy. And i got to sink my roots deep in that. Because that's what goes to war with pride in my life. The mercy of God is what keeps my heart tender before him so that I, I live a repentant man. One of the great hindrances to a heart being soft to repent is somehow believing you're doing okay, which means you've drifted from understanding the mercy of God. We have to sink our roots deep in to God's mercy. Have you experienced that mercy? I know with enough, with this number of people in our room, I'm, I'm convinced there are some who you still somehow in the back of your mind believe you're going to come to the end of this thing and if the good outweighs the bad, you'll be all right. The devil does cartwheels with excitement that you believe that. He loves every day of your life wasted in believing that you're going to get to the end of this, and if you did enough good, they're going to... St. Peter's not at the pearly gates going to measure your deeds. That's not how it works. You are either in Christ or you aren't. You have either received mercy or you haven't. You have either been covered by the blood of Jesus or you're lost and bound for hell. It has nothing to do with your merit. Have you received the mercy of God? Have you received that mercy? If you haven't, when we come to the end of this, I'm going to give you a chance to say, I need that. I need that. We have to see God's mercy. Here's the second thing we have to do. If we're going to live this life, single-minded loyalty, fully devoted, all in, dedicated, we have to surrender our will. To surrender our will. Right? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and then this is phrase, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul says, We have to present our bodies. We have to present ourselves, right? This idea of us presenting our lives, our bodies, is incredibly important because in presenting my body to God, it implies my surrender, the forfeiting of my will for God's will. It is, there is a letting go of my will so I can take hold of his will. Well, what does it mean to surrender my will? What does it mean? Because here's what I can tell you, believer. If your will is unsurrendered, God can't do much in your life. His glory expressed through you. His mission accomplished through you. The spiritual gifts coming alive. The fruit of the Spirit being born. That stuff doesn't happen in a will unsurrendered. We have to surrender our will. 
What does that look like? I mean, just imagine if you were really sick and you had to have a major, major surgery, right? I'm not talking about a few stitches. I mean, you're going under and they're going to crawl into your innards and do some stuff, right? So imagine you're having a major surgery. You go into the operating room, you lay on the table. The doctor looks at you and says, we're about to put you to sleep and, and do this major surgery. But right before that, you go, Doc, hold on a minute. I want to tell you a couple things. The first thing is this. You're not putting me to sleep. I'm going to stay awake the whole time. As a matter of fact, while I'm awake, I'm going to tell you what to do with that scalpel and what not to do. Don't you touch that, this, this. I'm going to tell you. And just to make it a little more difficult, I'm going to resist you a little bit while you try to do this surgery on my body. So I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to fight back a little. That okay? Ready? Now let's do the surgery. Now, as silly as that sounds, believer, is that not what we do in our relationship with the Lord? Sure, God, you can have my life. I'll, I'll, I'll surrender whatever you want to do, except, listen, I want to be in charge the whole time. And if you try to do something I don't want or call me to an area of obedience that I'm not comfortable with, I'm going to fight back a little. I'm going to close my hand around the things I don't want to give up, the stuff I like, my money, my job, I'm going to, the hobbies that I may need to sacrifice a little to prioritize the glory of Jesus. Mm -mm. I'm going to fight back a little. That's what we do. It's like we want to give enough as long as we have the final say. That's why this idea of us presenting ourselves matters so much. Surrendering our will to God, it's why it's so important. Why? Because what I have surrendered and what I have sacrificed no longer belongs to me. What I have surrendered is not mine anymore. It belongs to Him. And this is hard for us. But being... A living sacrifice is the acknowledgement that my best life, my deepest joy, my greatest contentment and satisfaction is not going to be found in my plans. It is going to be found in the submission and the surrender to God. You want to know what the problem is, though, with a living sacrifice? It ain't dead yet, and it tends to wiggle off the altar. Are you with me? It ain't dead yet. It tends to wiggle off the altar. How many of you can confess there have been times in your life where um, you've committed to God a, a new way of living, a new plan, a new devotion, a new way of doing things, confessing sin, God, I'll never do that again, only to pick it right back up. Being a living sacrifice is not a choice I make once on a day. It is a choice I make every day, all day. Why? Why do I have to do that? Because I know me. I know me. And the second it ain't going the way I think it's supposed to go, I'm going to close my hands around my life. I'm going to stop trusting. I'm going to stop surrendering. I'm going to crawl off the altar. And I want you to hear me. God will not force you onto the altar and he will not hold you down there. You will either present your body, your life, 
a glad surrender or you'll miss it. He doesn't hold us down on the altar. He doesn't force us into obedience. Paul says, we got to present. We got to bring. We got to come. Now, we come empty-handed. We don't come with anything to offer, but we come rejoicing because we, the one thing we have is our life, and we can lay it down, and we present our bodies to him, and we get on that altar, and we stay on the altar because it's our joy to be there. We have to surrender our will. Where are the pockets of unsurrendered areas in your life? You guys look good on Sunday. Man, y'all sing loud. Pray for families. Y'all just, your Jesus game is strong on Sunday mornings. What are the pockets of your life that nobody sees on a Sunday that are not surrendered? What, what are those? Surrender our will. So we have to see God's mercy. Surrender our will. That, isn't that what Jesus called us to do, right? If anyone would come after me, what must he do? Deny himself. What is that? Surrender your will. Take up a cross. What is that? Sacrifice. And follow me. What is that? Live for God's glory. That's the next thing. We have to pursue God's glory. See God's mercy, surrender our will, and pursue God's glory. I want to read these verses one more time with these things we've talked about in mind. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which means The highest form of worship that I can give is not in a song I sing. It is in a life I lay down. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual worship. Meaning there's no worship apart from surrender. Are you with me? God, me, that's kind of harsh. I'm with you. I'm as mad as Paul at you as you are. Right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you hear how God-centered that is? Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God so that you may know what is the will of God. The sacrifice of our life is made to God. We are in pursuit of the will of God and the glory of God. That's what, what is God's glory? What is that? That's a hard thing to identify. I needed some help with this. John Piper helped me form this definition. I got it from him. This is, this, I think this is as adequate as we can get. What is God's glory? God's glory is the display and praise of his perfection and his holiness and his beauty so as to see him as all satisfying. It's the display and praise of his perfection and holiness and beauty so as to see him as all satisfying. You go, well, what in the world does God's glory have to do with being a living sacrifice? Well, if you look at the verses that came right before Romans 12, Paul unpacks the glory of God for us. Back up about five or six verses and look at Romans 11, starting in verse 33. And let's just read this for a moment. Here's what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul says this. He says, this God that we surrender our lives to is the one, he says, who is infinite and rich. Oh, the depth of the riches. Infinite and riches. What does that mean? He possesses all things, all wisdom, all knowledge. There's none that compares in wisdom. He owns it. He owns wisdom. He creates knowledge. If it is wise and can be known, it came from his inexhaustible stores of truth. This is the God who is flawless in judgment. When he judges, it is right, it is perfect, and it is true. This is the God who owns all things. Creation is his possession. And everything that it is finds its beginning in him, its truest purpose in him, and its highest satisfaction in him. So that everything that exists comes from him. It exists through him. It's returning to him. And because all of that is true, he should receive glory forever. And now, with that glorious God in view and his mercy given to us in view, offer your body as a living sacrifice. With that glorious God who owns all things, possesses all things, deserves all things, and will receive all things with that glorious God in view. I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of that God to offer and present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it mean to be devoted to the Lord? It begins when you see God's mercy. Have you seen that mercy? I want to ask you, has there been a day where you have realized you were a sinner and you gave your heart to Jesus and you just fell into the mercy of God and you made Jesus the Lord of your life and your life changed forever? Have you seen the mercy of God? If not, in just a moment, we're going to stand. Some of you right now, you know that I'm talking to you, and already your feet are feeling like they're cement blocks on the floor, and you are committed to not move. God is trying to display for you his mercy. You're not going to come to the end of this thing, and it be scales. You're going to come to the end of this thing, and it's going to be a question. What did you do with Jesus? That's what's at the end. Have you received the mercy? Do you need the mercy of God? If so, when we stand, you just got to step out. Go, guys, me. I need that. For those of you who would say, I've received that mercy. I've been born again. Jesus has changed me. I am not the same. I know that's true. I want to ask you this then. What are those pockets in your life that are unsurrendered? What are those areas that you're wanting to hold on to your will and they're unsurrendered to God? Is it your finances? Is it your children, your marriage, your job? It may be that the moment we start singing, you just come to the altar and just begin to repent. God, I, got, I need to surrender all. I need to present all of my life, everything that I am. No pockets held back. Surrender my will. So if you need the mercy of God, you come. If you need to give a fresh surrender of your will to God, you come. And if you just want to declare the praise and glory of God, then you sing as we sing. Let's stand and we'll pray. God, I love you. And I'm so thankful for your word and your church for the next few minutes. Holy Spirit, 
Will you move, move in power? In Jesus' name.